0: Well, good morning. It's always nice when you're in the middle of a service and they say uh, the sermon today will be on adult topics. So we have our youth pastor to speak to you today. Yeah, if this is an adult conversation, i got to step out of it. So, Hey, if uh, you have a Bible, open up to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at verses uh, 1 through 12. First Thessalonians chapter four verses one through twelve says, "says Finally, then, brethren, we request and we exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do and walk, that you excel still more, for you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification." That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification, So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now, as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed, you do practice it towards all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and to work with your hands just as we commanded you so that you will behave properly towards outsiders and not be in any need. Well, it's about four years ago or so that uh, my wife and I uh, purchased a house and uh, the backyard was totally empty. It was... uh... Hey, Ryan. Backyard was totally empty. just kind of surprised to see you sitting there. Um, backyard was totally empty, and uh, we had an opportunity to kind of decide what to do in our backyard and If it was up to me on my own, I would probably go to Home Depot at the end of the season when you have the withering plants that are still kind of sat out on the sidewalk on a discount and I would put the ones that needed to go in the shade in the bright sun and the ones that needed to go in the sun in the shade, and they would all be dead by the next spring so What we decided is that we'd actually uh, hire a landscape architect. And so we got a plan drawn out for our entire yard. We paid somebody and they came up with this plan. And this was really cool for me because they gave me a plan. She gave me instructions that uh, there's a little part down here that says one inch equals five feet so I could get out my little measuring stick and measure exactly where the plants go. And then I dig a hole there and put the plants in there. And it was amazing because this is just a great way to to go about designing our yard. Because, again, if it was up to me, I would have no idea what to do. And one of the cool things is that we started to think about this. We thought about the trees and the bushes and the flowers and the elements of play and the elements of fun and how it would just be a beautiful creation we started to anticipate what it would look like and we started to be filled with a little bit of joy knowing that we were going to be able to walk out into our backyard and not have just dirt, but have a design. We started to think about what was this going to be. But as I got into this plan and started to implement some of the processes, I noticed that it was missing some instructions. First of all, cost. (laughs) How much was this going to cost us? Uh, they didn't, she didn't put that on the plan. This, the, the trees don't come with a cost. I had, You know, you call up and you get the, how much does a tree cost? And you go, okay, we'll wait on that one. <laughs> Secondly, how long would it take? Because uh, we weren't going to hire somebody to put all this in, so it was going to take us a long time. Didn't tell me what it took to dig into clay. It didn't tell me, you know how much effort it takes to move an ash tree from the front yard to the backyard. And when you try to move one tree from one spot to three feet over and you're using a two-by-four and you jump on it and it breaks, how much it hurts your back. So didn't include those things. The, the labor that it took, how much time, the labor, the effort, didn't include those things. She didn't tell me how to use all the tools that were necessary to work in my backyard and the equipment. She forgot to mention that there was maintenance, upkeep, repair, pruning, cutting, fighting weeds, insects, and predators. They didn't come with this, these instructions, this plan. But then there was things I didn't even count on. Southern Idaho, you have to water your yard. So I took my plan to Grover's Pay and Pack, and they came up with another plan. And it's called the watering plan. And they drew out all these little colorful lines for me to put hoses in. And I said, what kind of hoses? They weren't the green ones you get at Home Depot. So I had to put in hoses. And I, again, this doesn't include how to use a trencher. How to use a trencher and how to put in sprinkler heads. Again, what's the cost? What's the maintenance? But there were some um, unwelcome things as we got into this design and putting things in place. There was... Diseases, plants that get diseases. I didn't know that you had to go to Zamzals and buy chemicals to put on your plants to keep them from getting sick. Then there was the overwatering issue. I got a little zealous with the sprinkler system. Some plants died. There was injury to some plants by kids 7, 5, and 2, pulling on them, jumping on them, running over them. There was the invasion of insects, and things didn't always turn out the way I wanted them to. But there's some positive things as well. There was new sounds that were being created in the yard. There was birds and there was insects and there was the the noise of children playing. There were sites that weren't there before. What was once barren ground and it was now starting to produce trees and beautiful flowers. There was fragrances. There was good insects like butterflies and uh, other insects that we like. Other than the insects we don't like. You know, the ones you don't like, the ugly ones that you go, How do, where did that come from? And I was surprised by, uh, many times by God's creation. And it's really become a retreat and a beautiful place for, for our family. A couple of things I thought of, though, is what happens when I start to compare my backyard to others around me? I get prideful. I can become arrogant. I can get an attitude of competition. Have I put my fertilizer down at the right time, at the right place, with the right water? Does it look better than my neighbor's? And if it doesn't, then I get depressed. What happens if I get tired of it all and I start to neglect it? What happens if I neglect or ignore or reject what someone tells me about what I need to do? Or maybe what if I try to do it all on my own? Somebody gave us a playhouse, and I needed about 14 to 17 men to move this already-made playhouse. And it was great, but there's just no way I could have done it on my own. What happens if I become obsessed with my yard? I really can't enjoy it. What happens if I try to do everything... Everyone around me is telling me to do about my yard. What if I try to do all the things that are advertised and all the TV shows and all my neighbors and friends and all the books and magazines and online information and I try to do everything it tells me to do? I get overwhelmed. I often find myself yelling at the plan. Stinking plan. I reject the plan at times after I've worked out in the yard and I get cranky. I kick the plan. I don't like it. But it's still the plan to create a place for me and my family and friends to come over and enjoy life. What happens if I just rest in the plan? What if I follow the plan? And what if I enjoy the process of the plan? If I do that, then I can walk in the backyard and enjoy the outcome of the plan, of the design. And that's where we find ourselves today, trying to understand God's plan his desire for us and walking in His desire. Verses one and two says, "Finally, brother, and we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more." Paul is making an appeal. The reality is that he was already at Thessalonica. He already communicated to them some instructions and some commands. And he's asking them and requesting them that as you've received it from us, you've heard things from us before, that you excel in those things still more. We're coming to you and writing to you again because we taught you once and we're going to teach you again about some things. Just as you received from us, it's not like they had to force it on them, but they actually received this instruction on how it is necessary, is the wording. The uh, New American Standard says ought, how you ought to walk. The NIV actually leaves it out altogether. But the wording is how it is necessary to walk and please God. There's a plan, there's a desire, there's a way that you actually can walk and please God. They actually do it. He says just as you actually walk. They're doing it. They received it. It wasn't merely good advice or a friendly suggestion, but it was a request and teaching that they enjoyed. And Paul says, you've got it and still do it. But don't just do it lightly. Jump into it. Do it all the more. Have it overflowing in your life. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of our Lord Jesus. These people are not unaware of what Paul told them. They're very aware of what Paul had to say about following Jesus, becoming a believer, seeking after him, and walking with him. And Paul says, This isn't my own opinion. This is by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul didn't make it up, he didn't write some good thoughts down and say, Hey, this will probably be good for this, these Thessalonians to start walking. But he says this is the authority of the very Lord Jesus Christ to enter into our lives. And he's going to enter into an area that was a struggle for them. It was an area that they didn't quite know how do we start to live for Christ and at the same time also recognize that we we were raised in a culture that is totally against God and following after him. The exciting thing is that Paul says back in chapter 3 that the Lord is the one who has caused you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people. God is the one that has been moving in your life and encouraging you and challenging you and giving you strength. And Paul says, I want you to do it all the more. And that's how we get to verse 3. For this is, God, for this is the will of God. This is the desire of God. This is the plan of God. He's written something out. He's designed something for each individual person. And their walk with Him. And it's His design. Because Paul says, You started to walk with Jesus. Continue to walk in the plan. Continue to realize that there is this big picture for you. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. And they're awesome. It's almost like Paul was saying, you know, some of you that have kids, they start to walk probably around age two. And we're all excited about it. They start to walk and, hey, that's great. But we don't just leave them there, do we? We don't just say, well, that's great and that's, that's it. That's, I'm, I'm glad you started to walk and that's all that the plan has in store. But we forget about... <coughs> excuse me. We forget about then when they start to walk, there's also skipping and jumping and running. There's dance and ballet. There's soccer and basketball and sports. There's so many more things that they're going to be doing in their life than just beginning to walk. And that's what God's will is. His plan is that we walk with Him. And this is where it gets a little uncomfortable god's will for you is your sanctification your process of becoming like jesus the process of starting out as a small child and slowly changing and growing and moving and maturing to look more like the god that created you your sanctification is one it's a state In the eyes of God, you're already sanctified because he looks at you, he sees the Lord Jesus, and he says, you are perfect and clean and whole, and I love you. And that's a state. But what Paul is talking about here is that process of becoming more like God. And what does this include? This is the will of God, the desire of God, your sanctification, that is that you abstain from sexual immorality. You see, Paul is talking to them and instructing them and says there's a specific way that it is necessary in order for you to please God. You don't walk any way you want. You don't walk any way you please. Scripture says that it's necessary for you to walk in a certain way. You can't just decide on your own. <clears throat> we don't just have a choice or an option when it comes to what God's desire for us is. How do we please God? Well, it's abstaining from sexual immorality. And that word abstaining is really run away, get away as fast as you can. It's kind of the idea of uh, Joseph and Potiphar's wife. The story in the Old Testament, he didn't even hang around, he just ran away. And sometimes when we come to this, we, we sometimes think, well, I want to be pleasing to God, so I'll be pleasant in my, my life. I'll, I'll be a pleasant Christian. I'll be pleasant towards people I'll, I'll be pleasant towards other, uh, others around me, but sometimes we've got to really get into our hearts to start to realize, what is God doing in our lives? We can act pleasant, but the problem is, is that there's a lot of stuff around us, swirling around us, opinions about sexual immorality, what's right, what is wrong, and we're going to take a little view at a video clip on the world and how it views sexual immorality or sexuality. I'm not a virgin anymore. There's no going back. I just got a divorce after ten years of marriage. You can't expect me to just stop. We're just fooling around. We don't go all the way. Come on. I'm in my physical prime. It's unhealthy to deny myself. We're not ready for marriage yet, but we're ready for the next step in our relationship. Look, it's not like I'm not cruising bars or something. I'm in a committed relationship. Come on. I'm married. not blind. It's just sex. Everyone I know is doing it. What goes on behind closed doors in my own home is no one's business but my own. It's just a joke email my buddy sent me. It's just a video. I'm just looking for love. It's just sex. The church tells us not to. Those were rules created thousands of years ago before birth control when life expectancy was, what, 40? The world says it's okay. I mean, we use protection. You know what? It's really just between me and my boyfriend. It's just sex. I'm looking for a commitment for the rest of my life. I just want to be sure that he's the one. It's perfectly normal behavior. Come on, it's sex. It's not a sin. I mean, it's not like we're committing murder. God created sex, right? So what's wrong with it then? It's just sex. It's just sex. I'm not a virgin anymore. He's got a divorce after 10 years of marriage. You can't explain It's just sex. So what's wrong with it then? Rationalize. The attempt to explain or justify with... May be logical, possible reasoning, even if these are not true or appropriate. We try to sometimes rationalize our walks away. See, the Thessalonians had a problem is that they grew up in a culture that viewed sex and sexuality as something to be indulged in by all people and to be used and sometimes even abused. And you and I live in a culture that views sexuality that is to be used and maybe even abused to gratify our own desires. And we even rationalize those things away. So we're not much different than the Thessalonians. And we're not much different in needing to hear the fact that God wants us to abstain from sexual immorality. You see, Christians are those who come to serve God as his slaves or his servants. And the norms or the rules that govern their conduct are those that he establishes and not those that the society considers acceptable. You see, struggling with our own walk with Jesus, struggling with our own life is nothing new. Back in Genesis chapter 3 from the fall of Adam and Eve, all of us have chosen to decide for ourselves how to see things. What is delightful to us? What is desirable to make us wise? What is... Uh, what it is that we take into our own hands and what we want to give out to others, we have deceived ourselves by thinking that we can be our own God. And almost from the very beginning, we have chosen to go our own independent way. And we have brought upon ourselves shame and dishonor. It has led to hiding from ourselves and from God and from one another. And ultimately has broken Our relationship with the Lord because God desires his plan for you and I is that we connect with each other that we connect with him God desires wholeness in each one of our lives the amazing thing is God desires us you and I and it's not God's will or God's desire that you should fall into sexual immorality It's God's heart and God's desire that you go into sanctification. This isn't just some good knowledge, but it's actually things that we should both know and put into practice. And so again, avoid sexual immorality. Run away from, be far off from. It's just not a partial mediation. It's just something we might want to think about but it's complete abstinence from all forms of sexual immorality. Sexual immorality means any kind of sexual relationship outside the heterosexual marriage between a man and a woman. Whether it's fornication, adultery, homosexuality, incest, prostitution, bestiality, casual sex, oral sex, hooking up, whatever the next generation decides to call it, God throws a blanket over this area. Sometimes, like what we like to do is we like to get a microscope and we say, This is what sex- sexual immorality is, and that's all it is, and all these other things, it's, God's not talking about that. But the reality is, I believe God says, No, I'm, I'm trying to let you guys see that there's this whole area of sexuality that can be used in the wrong way. All these things. And there's new, you know, the amazing thing is there's new ways that kids communicate about sex all the time. Uh, hooking up is one way. Uh, But they're coming up with new phrases all the time. And and these things are incompatible with the sanctification process of a believer. You and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, cannot walk in sexual immorality and at the same time walk in sanctification. They're incompatible. The whole question of sexual relationships has to be viewed in the light of the fact that the body of the Christian does not belong to themselves anymore. It belongs to God. So how do we do this? How do we start to move from sexual immorality to sexual morality and sanctification? Because really, it's a process. I don't think one day you're just going to wake up and go, okay, I'm sexually moral. Great. I don't think it happens that way. It's a process. And in verse 4, it says that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. The idea is that each one of us learns how to control ourselves. We all know our limits. We, know, we all know ourselves and we know what we can handle. We know what tempts us. We know when we fail. And we need to start individually understanding that part of the spirit that is working in us is this area of control. It could be exercising lordship over something. Maybe it's exercising. The, the word is kind of exercising lordship over money or salary or horses or books or understanding. But Paul says that you need to know how to control yourself. You need how to learn how to control yourself. But in what way? In sanctification, here's that word again, that you learn how to possess or control your own body in sanctification, that you learn how to control it in a holy, honorable way separate way than everybody else around you sexual expression should be in the marriage bond or the marriage covenant and not um oh sexual expression should be in the marriage bond and if we're struggling with controlling it we don't necessarily run to marriage in order to avoid sexual immorality because that brings up a whole other set of problems sanctification again is that process that we're learning to become who we were, or sorry, we're learning who we were and starting to become who God wants us to be. I read this little quote out of Dallas Willard's Divine Conspiracy. Rod Ritchie showed this to me the other day, and I thought it was an amazing thought. As we're disciples of Jesus, how do we start thinking about following him? Or what does it mean for him actually live his life in and through us? As a disciple of Jesus, I am with him by choice and by grace, learning from him how to live in the kingdom of God. This is the crucial idea. That means we recall how to live within the range of God's effective will, his life flowing through mine. Another important way of putting this is to say that I am learning from Jesus to live my life as he would live my life if he were I. I am learning from Jesus to live my life as he would live my life if he were I. I am not necessarily learning to do everything he did, but I am learning how to do everything I do in a manner that he did all that he did. And that's the process of his life coming into mine. I'm continually dying, and he's continually living. And not only do we... We want this process to be happening in our life, but it's also that we learn how to control our bodies in sanctification and honor or in respect. It's, it's really a reputation that when people look to us, they say, that, that person has a good reputation in this area. And so we learn to control ourselves. We know what situations to put ourselves in. We know what situations to keep ourselves from. I was talking to a, a gentleman a couple weeks ago. And he was telling me that he was on a business trip, and uh, this group went to a restaurant, and they were waiting for their table, and he was sitting at a bar, and he just happened to be talking to this woman. And a friend of his, another believer, came up and said to the woman, You know he's married. Learning how to control, learning what situations are appropriate and not appropriate. Sometimes we need to remind ourselves, we, we need to remind one another. Some of you men and some of you women that go off on your own to business trips, and you're around people that are not believers. Learn how to control your body in sanctification and honor. Not like in verse 5, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. We don't act like people who have no relationship with God. We act differently. We are different because we have the Spirit of the living God inside of us. We're not like them. And the main reason is they do not know God. People who do not know God will live out their lustful passions. They have nothing in them to control themselves. They have self-effort, but they don't have the power of the Holy Spirit to change them from the inside out. So we don't act like people around us. We trust in the Holy Spirit to make us different. So we learn how to control ourselves in sanctification and honor, not like the world and what it says, And in verse 6, that no man transgress and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we told you before and solemnly warned you. I'm going to ask you to be vulnerable for a second. And what I'd like you to do is just by raising of your hands, if you in one way or another have been uh, impacted or you know somebody that has been impacted or hurt by sexual immorality, will you raise your hand? Yeah. This is a big deal. This is a big deal. And what Paul is saying is that, that no man transgresses or oversteps their bounds or takes advantage of his brother. That we start to realize that we live in this community of people that we're called to take care of one another, called to enter in with one another and not break each other apart and hurt each other and take us down. Why? Because the Lord is the Avenger in all these things. The Lord is the Avenger. You know, sometimes we take it upon ourselves to become the Avenger and and go after people that have fallen in this area and point out all their frailties and all their failures. But God is the Avenger. He's actually the just judge. You know, I'm amazed in in story after story I hear of, of marriages that have broken apart because of sexual immorality. It's always a two-way street. It's always a two-way street. Now, there might be some exceptions, and that's true. But you've got to get both sides of the story. I was reading a book the other day, and uh, it's actually called Sex God. And if you want to pick it up, pick it up. It's a good read. I do not agree with everything he says in it. And if you're over the age of uh, 25, it might be uh, frustrating at times because the way he thinks is very young and very cutting edge. But in this book, he talks about how this woman had come to him and said that my husband is uh, abusing me and I'm really struggling with it. And so the church formed this uh, group of people to really come along her side and help her and encourage her and it went on for months. And a couple months later, he was in church and this man came up to him. He said, I really need to talk to you because I've been struggling with abuse in my marriage and I'm the abuser and I really want to get help. And I know God can help me. And he's asking for help. And he's asking for the body to help him. And we realize that God is the avenger and not us. It's not our place to get revenge. That's our place to make statements, explain the truth, come alongside people and help them out. But eventually we have to rest in our Lord that he will be the avenger. The Lord will punish, and we see it all the time. And Paul says, just as we told you before and solemnly warned you, we told you this. This isn't anything new. We've told you this again and again and again. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but again in sanctification. Why is this such a big deal? Because God has called us, He has invited us. Come on in to my presence experience purity, experience genuine relationship, experience joy and peace and grace like you've never experienced before. And in sanctification where I'm going to take you who are dead spiritually and bring you alive and grow in your life some things you'd never thought possible. And you are going to become my sanctuary, my place of residence. And the invitation goes out, to you and I, that God wants to be a present living reality and work in our lives. So in verse 8, he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. This isn't something Paul made up. This isn't something that I made up. This isn't something the church has made up. This is something the very God of all creation has said, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that you know how to possess your body and that you treat one another well and if you reject this you're not rejecting me you're rejecting the very God that invites you into this relationship to walk with him and it's amazing that Paul ends with you're rejecting the God who gives you his Holy Spirit, the very source of life, the very source and the ability to become more like him the amazing thing is as I think about this plan that I made for my backyard. They have this thing called weed barrier. It's a fabric and we put it on the ground to keep the weeds from going up. I think we do this at times as believers. We take weed barrier or sin barrier and we wrap it around our bodies and we're like, I'm going to protect myself from sin. And the reality is that Jesus says it's right in your heart. And it's the Holy Spirit that works in our hearts to transform us and change us and move us. And that's the very invitation of God is that I want to come into your life through the power of the Holy Spirit and give you something that you would never have on your own so that you'll be changed and new. And He gives us His Holy Spirit. Isn't it amazing He is never too late to start this walk with the Lord? As we think about maybe your failures in life or your struggles in life, it's never too late to start. There's this idea called repentance, that we turn from the direction we were heading and we turn around and we go the opposite direction. And we can start that at any time. C.S. Lewis in uh, Mere Christianity writes, remember this repentance... This willing submission to humiliation and a kind of death is not something God demands of you before he will take you back and which he could let you off if he chose. It is simply a description of what going back to him is like. If you ask God to take you back without it, you are really asking him to let you go back without going back, and that cannot happen. Very well, then, we must go through with it. But the same badness which makes us need it makes us unable to do it. Can we do it if God helps us? Yes, but what do we mean when we talk of God helping us? We mean God putting into us a bit of himself, so to speak. He, lead, he lends us a little of his reasoning power, and that is how we think. He puts a little of his own love into us, and that is how we love one another. When you teach a child writing, you hold its hand while it forms the letters. That is, it forms the letters because you are forming them. We love and reason because God loves and reasons and holds our hands while we do it. You see, God wants to come alongside of our lives in immorality and all these things and give us the Holy Spirit so that we can start to be sanctified and walk with Him. And it's not relying upon ourselves. Our time is limited here, and so I would like to just cover these next couple areas that are still i believe talking about god's will god's desire starting to walk devoting our walk and walking together verse 9 now as to the love of the brethren you have no need for anyone to write to you for you yourselves are taught by god to love one another god teaches you i don't need to write you God has actually taught you in your hearts and in your community what it means to love one another. For indeed, you do practice it towards all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. Here's this little town of Thessalonica, and they're having an impact on all of Macedonia because of their love for one another. And we would say, that's awesome. But Paul goes on to say, but we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. Do it more. Don't stop. Continue to love one another. And that just doesn't mean being patient and kind and gentle. It means entering into one another's lives to know what's going on, that they take the good and the bad, the ugliness and the messiness, and they walk alongside of one another and they say, we love you, we care for you, and we want you to become more like Christ. Loving one another is not just giving some people money, but it's actually coming alongside their lives and knowing them and encouraging them and walking in their messiness with them. And then he says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we have commanded you so that you will behave properly towards outsiders and not be in any need. Basically, he's saying don't mooch. If I could sum it up in a little word. Don't be a mooch. Learn what it means like to live in the community of believers. Take care of one another. Work hard, at one, work hard with one another. Don't be a mooch. Now, I'm reminded of the story when Jesus was uh, out walking and a group of men caught a woman in adultery and they dragged her in front of our Lord and says, The law says to stone such a woman. What do you say? And he bent down and wrote in the sand, thought about it for a little bit. I'm amazed at how Jesus handles tough issues. But he said, You know what? Go ahead and throw the stones if you've never fallen yourself. Go ahead, throw away. Start throwing, pelting her with those stones, anybody that's without sin. And finally, he found himself alone with the woman and said, Where are your accusers? Now they realized that there was sin in their life too. And He says, Neither do I condemn you, but go and leave your life of sin. And really, as the body of Christ, there's that tension. Truth, the law says, and love, how do we enter in? And that's the tension that we are all called into, to walk with one another. Father, we, uh, we know that we struggle, but we know that you've invited us, and the hope is the power of your Holy Spirit making us new and changing our lives, and, and it's amazing that you've taken what was once dead and you've now brought it life. Father, there's some in here that are just starting to walk. Thank you so much that you're helping them to walk. Help us to devote our walks to you, to walk in this process of sanctification and help us to walk together in your strength and in your love because you ask us to love you and to love one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Finally, the reality is that uh, sin only has its power in its hiddenness. Sin only has its power in its hiddenness, and when we share it, when we come alongside people and let them know what's happening in our life, it loses its power, and we start to experience the joy of what it means to walk in the freedom of Christ. Ephesians 2 says, "And we and you, and you were dead in your transgressions and sin, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world." according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit who is now working in the sons of disobedience. That was you. Among them, we too, that would be me, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even like the rest, or all like one another. But God, and that's the difference, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. If you're struggling with sexual immorality in an area in there, we want to help. Give us a call, give somebody a call, call out for help because you can't do it on your own. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you that it's because of your great love for us that changes us and transforms us and moves us to be the body of Christ. Thank you so much for your presence and your desire and help us to walk in your desire. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for coming today.